doesn't work. Yeah, after about 40 minutes. Well, if you're all nodding off like this, I know it's time to stop. Yes, that's a good time. Last week, I brought a new focus for our, our church for this year. Um, we've, been, we've been in a, a particular vision for the church for a long time. We've had a strap line of seen, heard, and felt. We've had that for about, I don't know, 20 years maybe. Um, and I just said last week, I, I really feel that we, we've, we've achieved that. You know, we, we've, people know us. We know we've been all over the front pages of the paper. We've been on the internet. You just Google the church. It comes up. It's basically about the fire. I've been on, interviewed on the TV. We've done open air stuff in the, in the, in the middle of the city. People, people know who we are. Because they know who we are, they know Jesus. Because we proclaim Jesus. And I was thinking, well, we can either plod on and doing the same thing, or we can refocus. Because a vision, once you've achieved it, is no longer a vision. And so I, I really think we need time to refocus. And I spoke last week about going back to basics. No big fantangled church planting programs and, and whatever. Just getting back to basics. And the basics is people. Jesus loved people. And so our new strapline, if you like, is going to be building people, building community. Because when we build people, those people build community. And we need to do this by being Christ-centered and Bible-based. I'm not going to go over what I, I talked about last week. If you want to listen to that, you can go on our, our new website at www.bethelnewport.co.uk and just go on to podcasts. And you can see, you can pick your podcast, whichever one you want on there. And the one last week is called New 2020 Vision or something like that, Matt, isn't it? Yeah, you'll see it. That's if you want to listen to last week's. This week, I want to just go on a bit further of how we build people. Talked a lot of last week about building people and all the scriptures. There's many scriptures that says build each other up, build people, build in the saints, build in. So how do we do that? Because empowered people make a difference. When you are empowered, when you are equipped with the right tools, you make a difference. The empowered people meet more. They pray more. They support more. They're inventive. They come up with new, fresh ideas because they're empowered. They become stronger. They become bolder. They become more challenging. They become warmer. People want to be around these people. It was once said of, I don't know if you've heard this, but I think it was um, Joe Frazier once said of Muhammad Ali. It was either Joe Frazier or George Foreman, one of them, said of Muhammad Ali. Although he was a big rival, when you're around him, you become empowered. Because he was such a positive speaker, such a positive person, an outlook which was so positive, you became a better person just being around him. People become better people by being around better people. And so we need to be better people. We need to be motivated. And one of my favorite stories in the Bible, and I've spoke on it many times, and you're going to hear a bit more about it this afternoon, is David's mighty men. I love David's mighty men. 
You find them in the, the book of Samuel. They were first encountered in 1 Samuel chapter 22. They were just a ragtag band of disheartened men with debt and they were discontented. They were ordinary. They were average. They were less than average. But they became an army. They became mighty. And I mentioned a bit about them last week. But individually, the Bible says they did exploits. And I love that. And I got this vision of us as an army, mighty together, empowered together, building each other up, but individually doing exploits. So in your place of work, in your school, or your college, your community, wherever you are, yeah, you're not in the army as such. You might be out on your own doing a, a mission on your own, a little adventure on your own, but you can do exploits. Why? Because you're a built-up, empowered person. And what happens then is you build others around you. I want to look at a couple of these mighty men, right, and just take some lessons from them. First one is found in 2 Samuel chapter 23, verse 9. His name was Eleazar. This is what it says about him. Eleazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword. And the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. It seems as though Eleazar and David stood together, alone, fighting this army. So much so that it says that Eleazar could not lose go of the sword. It was cleaved into his hand. There's a lesson in itself. We need to hold on tight to the sword, which is the Word of God, in our lives. Eliezer was a trustworthy, dependable man. When others let David down, he stood with him. You see, leaders cannot do anything just on their own. They need people like Eliezer to stand with them. They need Eliezer's. You may say, well, I... I'm not a leader. I can't do this. I'm, I, I'm not up there. I can't stand up the front. I can't lead people. But you can be an Eliezer. You can stand. And you can say, when all else flee, when all else fails, I will stand with you. I got you back. And he was classed as a mighty man, a mighty person. I have to say in today's PC world, don't I? He was a mighty person. He wasn't just another guy. He was indispensable to David and his vision. Then there was the three. They are called the three. And they are found in same chapter 23, 2 Samuel 23, verses 14 to 17, is it? 18? Something like that, 17. This is what it says of them. A Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. 
David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three, that's the mighty men, these three, the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water from the well by the gate of Bethlehem, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is as precious as the blood of these men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are examples of the exploits of the three. Sounds a bit ungrateful, doesn't it? These three broke through the enemy lines just to get some water for David. And when they brought it to him and said, My king, here's some water. He didn't go, oh, that's fantastic. Thank you. And he didn't go, hmm. He just tipped it out. They just risked their lives. But he said that water was so precious, it was as precious as their lives. And he offered it as a sacrifice, an offering before God. He said, these three, their exploit was their servanthood. Their service. They might not have been the king. They might not have been the great leader. They might not have been the ones who stood with him and fought off 10,000 till their, the sword cleaved to their hand. But they were the ones who sneaked through the lines and got the water. They served. Service is great. It's an exploit. And they were regarded as mighty. Some people might say, well, I, all I do is serve some teas and coffees and all I do is move a bit of furniture and I tell you what, it's mighty. It's big. You can be mighty in the kingdom of God with your service, with your standing by a leader. They were all united. They went together. Talk about a band of brothers, or band of people, I should say, sorry. They were a band of brothers. They trusted each other. They loved each other. They laughed together. They cried together. They fought together. And some of them died together. They were just ordinary men. But they were relevant. They were real. They didn't try to be better. They didn't try to be more holy. They didn't try to outdo each other. They were honest, trustworthy, reliable, genuine people. And that is some of the things that I say all the time. And I think Claire's going to share a bit more about that. That should be our heart. Let's just be real. Just thinking of a, a story that in my last job, some of you might have known what I did in my last job. It was a bit of a man's man's type job. And there was a lot of men, a lot of hard men. A lot of tough men. And I had to fit into that. You know. But I was the Christian. You know? There were some other Christians there as well. Not many of us. And they called this one guy... Ned Flanders. 
Do you know who Ned Flanders is? He's the Christian on The Simpsons. And he was like, hello, Oakley Doakley, you know. He's like that manby pamby Christian man. And I said, what do you call me behind my back? I said, you don't call me Ned Flanders, do you? And they said, no, 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 we don't call you anything. I said, come on, what do you call me? They said, no, really, nothing. I said, but I'm a Christian, the same as him. Yeah. And this guy said, and this, and I, I appreciated what he said next. He said, yeah, but you're one of the guys. I went, really? Am I one of the guys? He said, yeah. I went, oh, thanks. And I, I really, th I thought that's great. Yeah, I'm a Christian. He knew my views. He knew what I stood for. He knew that some things in the office and, and, and where we were stopped with me. The dirty jokes, the bad language, everything else stopped with me. But he said, you're one of the guys. He knew that I would have his back if need be. We've got to fit in. We've got to be one of the guys. But yet we've got to be different. We've got to be mighty. We've got to be relevant. We've got to be trustworthy. We've got to be real. Because if we tend to put ourselves on this pedestal looking down and shouting at people, pointing the finger, telling them they're wrong all the time and you're going to hell because this and the other, they're, they're going to go, oh, can't relate to you. Let's be real. Let's be relevant to our communities. Then there was the, th the third one I'm going to look at. You might know this guy. You might not. Shama. I love this guy. Shama. Verse 11, same chapter. Shama, son of Agi, from Harera. One time the Philistines gathered at Lehi and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled, but Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. He stood his ground in a field full of lentils while the army fled. Remember doing a preach on this? I honestly remember it because I preached it in the youth many years ago. I entitled it, Go Mental for the Lentil. <laughs> it's good, eh? Go Mental for the Lentil. Shammah stood in a field of lentils. But the, the moral of this story is, others ran and they said, it's only a field of lentils. Don't worry about it. Let them have it. But he said, no. No, these are my lentils. I planted these. And I will not compromise. I will not let the enemy steal what I've got. And you know, the enemy wants to steal everything. But he won't come and do it all in one lump. He'll just take it a little bit at a time. One little field of lentils at a time. And in a day when we have to compromise as Christians so much, we need to be shemmers and stand and say, hmm, I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to stand in this field. Others may say, well, it's only a little thing. Don't worry about it. Everyone's saying it. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's going there. We can do this now. It's okay. Sometimes we've got to be like Shammah. And go, no, no, no. 
and not compromising. I'm taking my stand. He got angry. You know, there's nothing wrong with anger. When it's channeled in the right way, anger is good. Anger has brought many change in this world because some people get angry about something and they change it. I'm not talking about wrath and rage and hate. I'm talking about channeled anger, righteous indignation sometimes, and saying, I'm standing, not compromising. I got a bit like that in my other job. I said, no. I was in this office, and I've told you this story once or twice before, and some, one of the guys in there used to goad me so many times, and he'd tell the most filthiest, dirtiest jokes, and I used to just laugh, and I'd put my fingers in my ears and say, can you, you, na, 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 na. And he would say, oh. but I told you, didn't I? I gave him a Bible when I left. I said, read this. And he said, I just want to walk you out. I worked in a prison, by the way. He said, I walked in the prison with you. He said, I want to walk out with you. And I had occasion just a couple of months ago to go back to the prison as a, a visitor, <laughs> I might add. Not as an officer this time. And... In fact, Sarah was with me wherever she is. Where are you? And you remember this. This very guy, that was the guy. He came and sat by the side of me. And he said, Andy, that's who used to call me. Andy. He said, wow. I said, go, you put some weight on me. It's huge. But I said, remember that book I gave you? He said, yeah, still got it, he said. He was the only one when the church burned down that emailed me and said, I know you'll get through this, and I know your church will get through this, because I know what you believe, and you're passionate about it. You see, all the barracking and all the nastiness, I stood my ground, but it made a difference with him. It touched his very soul. I don't know if he's come to know the Lord. I don't know. But all I want to do is be the person I'm supposed to be around him. Don't compromise. Stand your ground. Don't just let it go. You know, when we read about the, the armor of God in Ephesians 6, it says, having done all, to stand. Not to run, not to sit down and be half-hearted, not to lie down and relax, but to stand. Stand. It's the right thing. If it's the right thing, it's worth defending. So, when these people were being built by David, as he was leading them, as he was empowering them, they became mighty individuals and they did exploits. And this is why I really feel God is saying when we build people, we will build community. David's mighty men were, they were less than average, some of them. Some of them were average. Some of them were less than average, if you read about them, if you study them. And to be honest, we're all a bit average, aren't we? Some of us are a bit less than average, and I include myself there. You're an uneducated person standing before you. I haven't got no letters after my name. I haven't got no degrees. I've got a couple of O-levels, if that still counts. And I got a city and guilds in welding. <laughs> Nothing else. But the Lord equips 
those he calls. And I, I remember this, as I was sitting down, I thought, there's a verse, there's a verse, where is it, where is it? And I had to Google it. Thank God for Google. <laughs> and I haven't even told the boys this. It's Acts 14 and verse 13, if you can find it. Acts 14 and verse 13. It was Peter and John. And they began talking with, with the people. And, and those who were educated, those with the, the letters after their name, the, the leaders of the day, realized that these were unschooled men. But then they realized something else. They realized they'd been with Jesus. It says this, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized who they were, unschooled, ordinary men, it goes on to say that they noted that these men had been with Jesus. You see, when you've been with Jesus, it equips you. No matter how average or below average you are, no matter how ordinary you are, He can take the ordinary and make it extraordinary. He can take the below average and make it above average. He can take that pot, that lump of clay that we were talking about just a couple of weeks ago, and make it perfect for what it is used for. And all those pots, as I said, are different. Different thickness, different strengths, all for different jobs. He's called you. He's molding you. You may think, well, I'm just an ordinary person. Ordinary people can do exploits. And this is why Jesus focused on people. He did the same. He took 12 young men and he discipled them. And then when he had finished discipling them, he said to them, go and make disciples. And that's our message. He didn't say go and, and set up some fantastic program. Go and start this project. Go and do this. He said, just go make disciples. Go and empower people. Go and mentor people. Go and walk with people. Go and do life with people. And let me rub off through you into them. What is a disciple? What is a disciple? We know that it's a, a follower of Jesus Christ, but it's not just that. It's a worshiper. It's a servant. It's someone who stands by another. It's a witness. It's one who, who speaks of the gospel. It's a wholeness of life. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Following Jesus. And Jesus proved that focusing on disciple making was the key to building the largest, most effective movement the world has ever seen. He did it just by focusing on people. And I said this last week, I think more and more leaders are coming to learn this. And we're going to move away from the, the CEO-driven church. Amen. The corporate, huge church, just people and leaders. And the more I'm, I'm, I'm praying about this and, and looking into it, the more I'm hearing it. It's all about people. Let's get back to basics. So how do we do it? Summing up over these last two weeks. How do we do it? It's not going to come from me just having a couple of preachers and, and Claire preaching next week. It's not going to come like that. It's going to come by filtering through us 
as a, as a culture, as a mindset. Each department of our, our fellowship, every leader within our fellowship, focusing on people. And I've talked to all the heads of department, I've talked to all the leaders, and we've all shared and prayed together that we are, we're all going to be looking at people, focusing on people. And I said last week, I'm one of the worst at it. And I've got a lot to learn. And I've been pastoring now for about, I don't know, 17 years, and I'm still learning how to care and love people more, how to build people more, how to empower people more. It has to flow through all of us, every one of us looking out for each other. You see, when you concentrate on the small things, they grow. If you've got some plants in your garden or in your house, and you look after them, and you, you take the heads off when they're dead, and you feed them, and you give them a bit of water all the time, they grow. Let me just tell you something. My sister's here. She's given me a plant. Remember you gave me a plant last year? It's a Venus flytrap. It's fantastic. You just tickle it with a little stick like that. And it goes, Junk. thinks there's a fly in there. She's told me to water it every day, preferably rainwater. So every day I go out and I get a little bit of rainwater and bring it in. I tell you, this thing is taking over the house. It's getting, it's getting massive. I bent down the other day to do some washing up, and he grabbed my hair. <laughs> I said, I'm not a fly. Why? Because I'm, I'm, I'm looking after it. It's my baby. You start feeding and looking after children, what happens? They grow, and they get strong. It's the same as anything. You've got to look after things. You've got to feed them. You've got to spend time with them. And this is what it is with when making disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples. Is my ear right now? <laughs> go and make disciples. Invest in people. Build people. We have to change our mindset sometimes. We have to change our culture. And we do this together. Together. Each one of us looking out for the other. Noticing people. 1 John 3 and verse 18. John said this. He spoke a lot about love. John did. I wonder if it was because Jesus challenged him on love. Do you love me? No, no, John, do you, do you love me? No, no, John, do you really love me? Then go and feed my lambs. He learned a lot about love. And this is one of the things he said. 1 John 3 and verse 18. Let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Love in action. You can't just say you love someone. There has to be action. So buy your wife some flowers like I do every week. Well, you bought yourself some the other day and I give you the money to get them. Benjamin Franklin, let's move on quickly. <laughs> Benjamin Franklin said this, when you're finished changing, you're finished. We can't, yeah, it wasn't me, mind, that was Benjamin Franklin. We can't stay the same. We have to change. We have to change our mindsets. We have to get better, get better people. Because once we finish changing, we're finished. So all our groups, 
all our ministries, and we've got quite a lot of them, and you've heard a lot of them every other week getting up, and we're going to start that again in a couple of weeks' time, and they begin up getting five minutes. All of these people and all of these leaders and groups are going to be people, people. You're going to be looking after people. How can we build people? How can we be more pastoral? How can we be more personal? How can we be more empowering? And I tell you what, I'm up for ideas. Here you go. If you've got an idea, come and have a chat. But be prepared, because I'll put it back on you and say, okay, get on with that. Don't come with me and say, I think you ought to do this, and I'll, because I'll say, I think you ought to do it, if it's your idea. So I'm up for ideas. Building people emotionally, psychologically, as well as spiritually. That is wholeness. That's what wholeness means. It means body, soul, and spirit cascading down through every area of the church. We need to be proactive, not reactive. We're good at reactive sometimes, aren't we? We react to situations, but we're not very proactive. We don't look for those people who perhaps are not engaging much. We don't look for those who perhaps seem a bit down, those who, who need a, a, a bit of support. We react to it, but we're not proactive. And I count myself in that as well. It's good to have vision. I'm just going to sum up. I've only been five minutes, according to this. <laughs> it's good to have vision. It's good to have something to aim for. But we can't just leave it as a vision, can't we? We can't just leave something out there. We can't just have a dream. The dream has to become reality. Otherwise, it's just a dream. We've got to be aiming for something. And when I was with the leaders and heads of department just a couple of weeks ago, I said something, and I said, oh, I probably won't say that when I'm preaching, but I, I've been thinking about it and praying about it, and I think I might say it. And some people are looking at me now, oh, God, what's he going to say? I get that sometimes. Think about it. No, but I am going to say it. A better time is not coming. Sometimes we say that, don't we? Ah, oh, a better time is coming. It's better. It's not coming. This is the time. Because if we keep looking for a better time, we will never live for today. If we keep saying, oh, tomorrow is going to be good. Tomorrow a better time has come in. We're always dreaming. And we're always looking for something better to come instead of living for today, for now, and making now the better time. So don't live in a dream. Right now, we might not have the best facilities. We might not be in the most technological building. But it's not about that. It's about us. It's about people. It's about our attitude. It's about our heart. It's about our genuineness. And I just want to look at some of these stats. because I, was, I, was, I wrote that down and I thought, how can you quantify that? Look at these stats. In China, according to the World Council of Churches, the church in China is experiencing tremendous growth like never before. It's not just the poor that you see in the churches. You see the rich, you see the uneducated, you see the educated, all embracing Christianity. They're meeting in homes. 
There is the organized religion, but that is controlled. They live and, and meet in house churches. In the early 70s, there were an estimated 3 million Christians in China. Now, they reckon the number is as high as 130 million Christians in China. In Iran, my friends from Iran, is seeing a massive growth in the Christian church in Iran. All because of underground churches, people meeting. The Iranian church is growing with increased momentum. This is from Elam Ministries. The daily reports say that the underground church in Iran is growing. Why? Because they preach the Word of God. It's because, and this is one of the things that they said is the big thing that's happening in Iran. It's the power of people's testimony to their friends, to their families. All areas of society are getting to know Jesus. Now, you think of it in Iran, you think of it in China. They don't have the big buildings. They don't have the big budgets. They don't have the social media. They don't have all the marketing that we have. They don't have paid staff. They don't have worship teams. They just have Jesus. That's all. And sometimes we put all our emphasis in, in, the, in the buildings and the technology and, the, and the, the corporate way we do things these days. And all we need is Jesus. And he says, just go and make disciples. How? By loving them, by caring, by preaching the good news. You see, our growth numerically, physically, spiritually, will not be down to our attractiveness, but it'll be down to His attractiveness in us. So we need to build each other. We need to equip each other so that we become spiritually stronger, so that we can influence our community. Building people, building community. Because when we stand together, we survive. When we stand together, we don't just survive, we thrive. We increase. We become stronger. There's a, a video clip, which I, I think I've got time to show, because I've only been 10 minutes now. <laughs> and I've asked Matt to get it ready. Now, it's a video clip from the, the film Gladiator. Have you ever seen that film? Now, don't worry, I've run it through a few times, and there's not young children around, is there? No, there's not, not much blood and guts in it, but it's a great clip. Remember at the end when Maximus, Mostimus, whatever his name is, was in the arena with all the other gladiators, and they were going to send in whatever it was through those gates, and he said to the other gladiators, anybody been in the army? You'll see it in a minute. And they all go, well, I have, yeah. He said, we stand together. He said, because whatever comes through those gates, if we stand together, we survive. And no matter what the enemy throws at us, when we stand together, we survive. So after this clip, I'm going to shut up, and then perhaps Lawrence and the team will come back up, and we'll have some more worship. 
Okay, show it. Anyone here been in the army? Yes. I serve with you have been to You can help me. Whatever comes out of these gates, we've got a better chance of survival if we work together. Do you understand? If we stay together, we survive. Stand, shall we? That just embodies what I want to say. Let's stand together. Let's be together. Let's go together on this journey, strengthening each other, building each other. Because when we build each other, we in turn build our communities. Next week, Claire's going to bring the third part, and that's how we build communities. And she's got some great.